producer Jake is back, guys, uh, with my very own episode, um, kind of uh, part two to the Cronenberg family, uh, family tree of artists. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg has a new movie called Infinity Pool. It's his third feature, um, and I really liked it. I, I wanted to come on and talk about it. Um, and of course, if we're talking Cronenberg, I had to bring back Lucas Neighbor on. He was on the Crimes of the Future episode that we put out into the world, so... Dude, thanks for coming back on and talking Cronenberg, yeah. all things Cronenberg with me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. Absolutely. Um, and I also made the dubious choice of because I wanted to connect this to maybe to like a subgenre of horror because Infinity Pool is in fact like a sort of a sci-fi uh, vacation horror movie is the best way to categorize it probably. Um, so I, I told Lucas that we should make a list of our favorite thrillers that take place at resorts or just on like a general location or vacation spot. Um, and we realized there's not that many. So like definitely bear with us as we talk about that towards the end of the episode. Um, but yeah, so so generally, uh, I really like this movie um, and we're going to dive into it more, but. We usually start the show off just by talking about what we have seen uh, recently that stuck out. Um, so it, it could be a show or a movie, but Lucas, what were you going to talk about uh, that you've seen recently? Um, Yeah, I guess I'll talk about Poker Face because that's the thing that's freshest on my mind. Um, nice. You know, the new Ryan Johnson uh, detective show starring um, Natasha Leone on Peacock. It's um kind of in the style of Columbo. It's a uh, breath of fresh air, really. Like, I just enjoyed it so much more than I was expecting to. You know, we kind of talked off air about my feelings about Knives Out 2 and the uh, issues I had with it. And it just really took me off guard to be completely entertained by Poker Face. Like, there's nothing mm. about it that... um that I hang up on in the way that I did with knives out too. like the humor is very light and it's interspersed very well. Like the tone is just great. You know, it's very much Ryan Johnson, in my opinion, like finding his form again. So yeah, that's been nice. great to watch. Nice. Yeah. And we were also talking about how obviously he's in this bag of, of mystery, like frameworks of mystery of a classical mystery structures, I guess you can say obviously with knives out, but with poker face too, um, so I'm excited to check it out. You know, it's it's Ryan's kind of veered off into a very particular subgenre of movies and shows now. So is he directing all those episodes or is he like kind of the showrunner? I think he show? directed the first two and he's just yeah, he's the showrunner on the rest of it, like you know, executive producer or whatever. Nice. I will definitely if I ever get my peacock account back, I'll definitely watch that that's show. free you you gotta sort that out that's a free one like with commercials so I'll, yeah I'll, with commercials oh, okay i forgot peacock had that weird distinction where you could just sign up and deal with the ads i thought it's, it was like a hulu situation it's really funny that they all have the ads and the paid option now like isn't there even hmm. a hulu without ads now yeah and i pay for that actually <laughs> is it worth it I use, I mean, I use Hulu just like very often, so it's worth it for me. It depends, I guess, on your frequency of of throwing on Hulu shows and stuff. Well, the Hulu ads are also terrible. There's so many. 
exactly and i was i was going crazy this was also years ago so i might i don't know maybe i was just i was in a bad spot to where i couldn't <laughs> take it but it's i don't know a saving fight it's like five dollars a month extra it's not to me it was it was that much but then you factor in like sixty dollars a year that i've been spending on no ads i don't know i feel like i feel <laughs> like it's worth it i wouldn't question it I'm only questioning it now after like four years of doing this. I've, I literally haven't thought about it till now. You're um, in too deep now. <laughs> Hulu's got me by the chokehold now. Yeah. Uh, what have you watched though? Um. So a few nights ago, I saw Knock at the Cabin, um, the new M. Night Shyamalan film adapted from the Paul G. Tremblay novel of the same name, or not the same name, I'm sorry, The Cabin at the End of the World. Um, which is a really really cool title for a novel. Um, Why is the new title so much worse? Why'd they make it worse? Uh, probably cause, just because it's less wordy. Mm. I have no idea. And also, I'm not sure that they even knock at the cabin in the movie. <laughs> I could remember wrong, but I, I remember thinking at the in the first act of the movie, I don't remember any knocks. I just remember home invasion. <laughs> anyway, that's just a hang-up, but... <laughs> I know you're you're seeing this in a few hours, right? So I don't want to like I don't want to dissect it too heavily because I want you to go in fresh. Um, so what to say about it then? Um, I haven't read the book. Uh, I know it's a very it's a very brisk, quick read, um, tackling very very heavy themes about you know world annihilation in in certain respects, but also LGBTQ. Uh, themes as well so it's a it's a very modernized uh home invasion kind of apocalyptic novel very very uh bloated for a really short novel um and that's kind of how i felt about the movie and obviously i don't want to get into specifics because it's very easy to spoil um not only plot points but also just kind of because this movie definitely has a very emotional core that i don't want to spoil for lucas here but um, other people are saying that it's one of M. Night's best films in years, um, but I'm more on the train that old is one of M. Night's best films in years, which is more of a hotter take, I suppose. Um, the number one thing I'll just say without without giving anything away is that Batista's incredible, um, pr- like one of the best M. Night performances in a really long time. Um, and I just wish I wish the movie had taken different routes from the book because a lot of people had said the book was unadaptable and you can kind of get that sense of fatigue in the in the movie itself um where certain parts are feel rushed and certain parts feel far too drawn out but but needless to say it's a really great tight thriller um and very a, a very emotional center um in terms of the lead characters so so yeah it's definitely a recommendation because like it's it, it's pretty puzzling to me that people would skip an M. Night Shyamalan movie at this point in theaters because he's a very exciting output of movies ever since Split. So I don't know. That's I guess that's my sentiment about it. Like, what are your expectations about Knock at the Cabin? Because you're seeing it like within a few hours. Well, I'm really excited to see it, um, even with you saying that, because I think that every M. Night movie is really special honestly like absolutely he is he this might sound like a dig 
but he's like the worst filmmaker working for me that is like an all-time great where it's like he's mm. going to get you know it's stupid to say but like he's going to get discussed and talked about and written about and taught in school like sure. he is um so distinct it's like you said like i can't imagine skipping one of his movies in theaters ever since the run he's been on yeah because like even when his movies you know fell off critically or or in the audience like audience sphere like people don't love like the happening for example like that era right um those movies are unlike any other movie you're going to watch. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. they're like straight to DVD, like bargain bin movies. And so with knock at the cabin on the, or it, what is it? Knock at the cabin door. Just knock at the cabin. That's the, Oh, knock at the cabin. Yeah. Okay. That's what terrible title, terrible title. <laughs> but anyways, um, I think that um, I'm just very excited. Like hearing you say that Batista is so great in it is really exciting. Cause he's the perfect fit for m night you know like he's someone who i don't know it's just like you said like he just doesn't fit the mold and i think m night doesn't fit the mold in a way that's very significant so i guess i'm just really Mm -hmm. excited like even if i don't love it like even if i think it's completely stupid i know i'm not gonna forget it and that's the number one thing I can almost guarantee you're not going to think it's outright stupid because the movie's just exceptionally well made and acted on all fronts. Um, it might just, for me, just come down to the source material being unadaptable for for the movie that M. Night's trying to tell. Because, um, like, the core themes of the movie are heavily, you know, related to what he's interested in as a filmmaker, even harking back to, like, signs in the village in some respects. So, um so, yeah, it's definitely an exciting movie to exist right now. I just don't think it paid off as well as old or even for me personally, glass paid off. Um, we don't have to get into the whole we don't glass. Have, we don't have to get into the glass weeds right now. I, I'm just saying, like, he's been on a, he's been on a very consistent run since Split. Um, and this was kind of like a slight decline um, to mediocrity, in my opinion. But you mentioned that, like, he's an all-timer filmmaker like do you put like christopher nolan and like i don't know like i guess like genre filmmakers who are all-time greats that are working today do you put him in the class of like denis villeneuve and um i don't know jordan peele at this point is he like one of those guys it's weird because i was actually gonna bring up jordan peele Mm -hmm. um i think what it is is like he's probably worse than all of those guys and it's like you said about about like that's exactly what i was getting at is like you love glass and we both love old and you don't love knock at the cabin as much and i might love knock at the cabin but like that's the thing like he's definitely worse than all of those directors you mentioned but at Mm -hmm. the same time jordan peele was compared to m night when he made get out you know and like obviously the twist is a big part of that but like he whether whether it's merited by every movie he's made or not he has been in the same conversation as like like people that are much more talented or much more successful than him and even if i wouldn't say yeah he's as good as them i don't mm-hmm. think you can take him out of that running you know what i mean like he's as, as as influential as them i would say no 100 percent agree um 
and he might not have the consistency that they have in terms of quality um because well first of all like the drop-off point with lady in the water basically through the visits and split where he had his quote-unquote down period um most of those movies are like interesting and like you said unlike anything that we had we've seen um so like when you're going through his filmography like there's never like a really kind of a dull period um and that might not mean that much to other people but like to me if you're studying him as like an auteur filmmaker like he's always pushed the envelope in some respect and if the quality is not as consistent as those directors at least he's he's self-financed and he's kind of put it on the line with every film he's made so like i've always commended him even though like i would never watch after earth or the last airbender ever again but like (laughs) um that's kind of also why this this upswing of movies and like the fat the past you know couple have been so fantastic um is because that it's kind of like that classic thing of a filmmaker just coming back with great ideas and a fresh set of eyes i don't know and and yeah, I, historically, you're actually probably going to like Knock at the Cabin more because you didn't like Glass as much, and I love Glass. And everyone, there's never a, consens- a consensus of M. Night's movies, I don't think, you know? What's his best movie? <laughs> For My personal choice is The mm-hmm. Village. It's The Village, the Village? and Unbreakable. Yeah. See, because I would say Signs. Mm-hmm. I know, in, I know you're a big signs guy. Yeah. I never have so that. many people. It's obviously the sixth sense. Like, like we're both wrong. No, we are both wrong, but I always say, well, I, I say that with so many filmmakers when people ask me, like say Christopher Nolan, I'll say his best movie is probably inception or the dark Knight, But I always say it's like tenant or interstellar. It's tenant. It's tenant probably, but I it's always, tenet. I always differ from the consensus. Um, because, yeah, I'm like Unbreakable in the Village are not as tight or as influential or beautifully made as The Sixth Sense. There's, like, no way. And I would wager Signs is also not in that. They're not even in the same class as The Sixth Sense, you know, in terms of influence. Like, I think we just like those movies personally just a lot more. Well, then, like, like Signs is, like, a religious experience for me. I don't want to speak for you with The Village, but... Mm-hmm. Something about the way that, you know, it's unfortunate that it's Mel Gibson, but it's also it's also fitting, though, because I grew up watching Mel Gibson movies with my dad, like Mm -hmm. and um, it's it's the way it, it sequences at the end, like the way that you're watching this like bizarre, really funny movie and then all the little things he sets up, like he just hits that sequence at the end so perfectly and nothing can compare. It's like, yeah, the sixth sense Mm. might be better in every way, but it doesn't, Mm. it doesn't hit my nerves the same way that signs does. No, that totally makes sense. And there you're, I feel like signs might be the second most beloved of M night's early movies, but, and I feel like I'm more alone with the village because it obviously has the, very very subversive twists that people were not on board with um and I've, i kind of feel the same way with not quite a religious experience because i mean signs is like about faith itself so and like that's kind of the style of and the tone that he was going for where the village is like thematically i really relate to it and also it's like the most cinematic and beautiful looking of all of his movies um and it is possibly that the movie most is ambitious. gorgeous 
Yeah, yeah, like Roger Deakins shot it and everything, and the cast is so phenomenally and rich. So I don't know. I guess my whole the overarching point of this is that like what I say about Knock at the Cabin is probably different from because like I said, I've seen a lot of people say it's one of his best movies in like since The Sixth Sense. So it's everyone's gonna have a different opinion. Yeah, that that is totally. I think that's that's such a that's such a overreach in my opinion that's crazy yeah that's dismissive yeah. that's very dismissive yeah that's basically like he made he made 12 movies 12 13 movies in between that mean nothing until he, he adapted this one novel i don't know it, it felt kind of just off to me but so what you're saying is we got to do a knock at the cabin pod tomorrow <laughs> i'd be down <laughs> actually um <laughs> Unless, unless you like really, if you're one of those people that say it's the best in Sixth Sense, I don't know if I could stomach that, but <laughs> no, I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. Macaulay Culkin doesn't have shit on uh, whoever's in Knock. Oh, and Batista. Do you Haley Joe Osment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever the Culkin. little blonde, the little blonde boy. You know who I meant. I've never seen someone <laughs> mix that up. That's hilarious. Um, no, Batista movie buff. Batista might be the best performance in an M Night movie since Macaulay. Uh, Haley Joe Osment. <laughs> Jesus Christ. M Night just scrambles my brain on purpose. I feel like he, that's his his intention, but God. Um yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I can't wait to hear what you think. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Sorry anyhow. you didn't. No, I, I, I did. It's just like middle of the road, M. Night. It's kind of like the visit and signs where I, I like, I appreciate the intent, but the execution was just kind of like, didn't do much for me, I guess. But like In I said, a way, I, that's a good sign, right? Yeah, no, any, every M. Night movie that's a noble failure. I like, I even think Lady in the Water is a very noble failure um, that tries a lot of very interesting things um, that, that's never seen on screen, so... I, don't, I, I feel like I could keep going about M. Night, so we might have to... <laughs> yeah, we gotta cut it off. Cut we it gotta, off. gotta cut the cord on this one. Um, Hard transition. <laughs> so Infinity Pool is also out um, in theaters right now. Um, I kind of wanted to do some table setting on Brandon, since I've never talked about him on the podcast or anything. Um, so I was introduced to him, obviously, with Antiviral, um, because he was... David Cronenberg, like I said on the last podcast of Crimes of the Future, is one of my favorite horror directors of all time. And to see his son come out with a very well-acclaimed movie like Antiviral, um, I had to check it out. And I, I was a huge fan of it. Like, it's a very interesting take on celebrity and also like the medical industry and so many bizarre things. Honestly, can't speak on that movie too much. I haven't seen it since around the time it came out, like in like early 2010s um but i wanted to talk about possessor with you because i know you're a huge fan of that movie um was that your introduction to brandon or was it actually antiviral like how how did you come to his movies uh yeah it was possessor and it's funny because um I, I can't remember if it was the first time i saw the trailer or not but i was sold on the trailer more than like the brandon cronenberg thing mm-hmm um, cause you know, if the movie looked bad and then it's just, you know, it's, it's Brandon Cronenberg, like that doesn't mean anything to me. I didn't even know about mm -hmm. antiviral until before infinity pool came out. And yeah, I, I love possessor. I think that that's, um, 
I don't know. It's an incredible movie, and it it just achieves so much visually for like no money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and kind of was a unprecedented movie to come out during quarantine. I remember because that movie was kind of designed for a theatrical experience, and I, I know Brandon's very like his father, very passionate about his movies being seen on the big screen because they're such auditory kind of visually penetrating uh, works of art in in some ways. And that's how I felt about Infinity Pool in general like that. Um, well, obviously, we can dig into the plots and the themes and all that stuff, but it kind of felt like his most ambitious on a technical scale. Um because obviously there's all those very there's all those strobe like sequences. I, I I warned Emily actually about that because like there's a there's a major warning at the beginning for anyone who's epileptic. I don't know if you guys got that, too. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of the film. Um, but it felt like. His most maybe his most palatable plot to like maybe more widestream audiences, but also one of his most experimental in terms of the form. I don't know if you felt that way, but like, there's a lot of very, just, just, I don't know. I, I gasmic. I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it, but like the, just the feeling that a lot of sequences made me feel were, were very revolutionary. I thought in terms of the genre. So, um, so yeah, I love the movie in general. Like, what do you think of it? Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, it felt like a huge step up <clears throat> narrative narratively from possessor um possessor is like you know it's got a plot and it's very simple it's like a short story level plot right. and then it's just it's just tension and emotion and like and these canvas shots of of rooms and you know people moving through them and and I, I also loved Infinity Pool because it's a huge step up narratively and it's also a continuation of what he was kind of going for in Possessor. Like it it visually um visually overwhelmed me at times. Like where I would just like mm. pick a corner of the screen to look at and just, you know, perceive what's happening in that corner and let the rest kind of wash over me, especially in some mm -hmm. of those dream sequences. Yes. Um, yeah, I loved it. But do you want to give a quick recap? Yeah, that, I was about to do that. That's a good idea. Um, so the, I think the initial setup to this movie is actually really simple, where it's Alexander Skarsgård and his wife slash and or girlfriend are on vacation at a very upscale resort. Um, and the country that they are in, is it a fictitious country or is it? I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. Right. Do you remember the name? Of the country we're, they... we're bad podcasters because I don't remember the name and I never <laughs> researched if it's if it's um, real or not. I think that was that was definitely uh implied that fake. we're bad at our job, yeah. But I I it's, I think it's, it's fake fic though. It's a fictitious let's run with that. It's definitely fictitious because the later on we'll explain, obviously, because the laws are very loose and and kind of just insanely uh nihilistic in some ways that are not that wouldn't maybe not exist until like 50 to 100 years from now so it's definitely a fictitious country but um basically they meet Mia goth who's sort of this um she's like a a voice actress or a commercial actress more so um and she kind of lures them in to just 
start spending time with them at this resort and they go on a picnic um, by the water and they sort of get a sloppy drunk um, to where Alex Skarsgård has to drive them back to the resort. And of course, something goes horribly wrong and he runs over a local and they just leave the body there. And this, I'm, I'm on the right track, right? I didn't forget anything um, up to no. this point. That's important. Um, um, Where based... do spoilers start with the plot? Uh, spoiler alert starts after he hit the guy with the car. There <laughs> this we go. is a spoiler-filled cool, cool. episode because we cannot talk about this movie without spoiling. Okay, um, cool, cool. Because cool. just tremendously uh, important things happen in the first act of this movie, right? So, Yeah, it's um, impossible. Yeah, and they go home and try to like let bygones be bygones, and hopefully no one will find out. Um, so it's a very sort of like vacation nightmare story. But then the next days when things take a turn and it becomes a full on Brandon Cronenberg film, um, is when he's sort of him and his wife are detained by police officers and taken to a big governmental facility that kind of resembles like a courthouse slash jailhouse. Um. And since you just saw that, can you explain from here on out? Because I feel like there's some technical things that I might get wrong about the whole uh, double recreation process in the infinity pool. If you don't yes, mind. I will do my best. So <laughs> basically he approaches the, the detective approaches uh, um, Skarsgård and he explains that the evidence is is conclusive like he's going to be executed for what he did but yes. then it, it takes like a um a turn and i'm sorry i'm recapping what you already recapped but okay. the process is basically they offer very rich tourists to their country the opportunity to to have a a duplicate created of themselves to serve as a surrogate for the execution yeah and then they have to watch their surrogate get executed as punishment for their crime mm-hmm. and then they're free to go right and that's basically that... that's it yeah because from there on out um it's kind of just a rinse and repeat of that same concept with alex skarsgård and mia goth because she's also you find out that she was she had gone through that infinity pool process i think that's what we should call it from that now on because it's a very complicated um yeah process that they go through each time um, but then it kind of just delves into more of like this sort of hedonistic uh, approach to, you know, just absurdly wealthy people because they start taking advantage of the system and start doing just bad shit, crazy, evil things um, because they have this infinity pool as sort of a backup and it sort of becomes a drug that they can't stop um, using and and yeah, and that's that's essentially the movie. And of course, there's some twists and turns um throughout um um and i know that was a valid criticism throughout uh, that a lot of people gave that throughout this movie that it's sort of a rinse and repeat repetitive practice um kind of exposing the same themes over and over again um i felt that a little bit i don't know if you felt the same way that it kind of hits the it hits the theme a little bit too hard kind of uh ham-fisting itself did you feel that way i did not because yeah, me I neither. felt I personally I felt the the infinity pool process like the reincarnation process that they go through 
was sort of the framing device of the story and yeah. not like I it is complicated as it is and as esoteric as it is I kind of got the sense that that first scene is played as a joke because they're trying to get you well Brandon is Cronenberg trying to get you lulled into this sense of okay this is this is what these people do this is how they live their lives and they're on vacation mm. and if anything, my criticism would be that it it's a little rushed because I think it's like, hmm. let me make a comparison. Like, you know, a novel about vampires, they introduce you to this vampire world and yes, vampires are real and here's how they exist with humans and here's this new person entering. And then once they're in, in that environment and you're used to the language of that environment, then the story plays out, you know? Yeah. And so Very I felt... That, yeah. I felt that I was more focused on the interactions between these characters as kind of a group mm. of like demons almost, or, or I, I, I kind of interpreted it as though Mia Goth was like some kind of witch almost by yeah. the end of it. Um, Absolutely. But I was more focused on the character dynamics than I was on like, like I wasn't expecting more once that plot got introduced, you know? And especially since we're talking spoilers, I think they kind of tried to address that in the scene where you think they're going to get actually executed and then they're just cheering, watching mm. them get executed again. That's a that's such a wonderful um, deception of the audience, you know, that's a great. Of, yeah, that was wonderful because it kind of cuts to them being like unsure of their fate. And then it kind of it shows the execution and then the lights come up and the camera whips over to them, like just cheering. And it's just so unsettling. But it's also like such a relief um, because there is this aspect of this movie that I didn't feel as so much in the earlier Brandon Cronenberg movies is that Alex Garsgård really feels like not so much an everyman, but like a blank slate to where you could really put yourself in his psyche and his position. And like, especially within the first act of that movie, like I feel like a lot of it has to do with the it's kind of plays off on the horror of being stranded at a resort and you don't and you have no one to contact and you're kind of being fucked by the system that you're not aware of um and there's the whole that's why the whole what you're saying about the whole infinity pool concept being convoluted because i feel like a lot of you're more hyper focused on the fate of the characters um than the table setting for you know later events of the story if that makes sense um but yeah no i i totally agree though that like mia goth and all the other sort of bourgeois people that took place in this infinity pool are kind of like, they feel like a tribe of, like you said, even vampires or um, cause like the vampire comparison makes sense. Cause they're kind of, they have this um, infinite amount of lives that they kind of exploit for their own, um, for their own weird, some kind of like approach to vacationing. Um I don't know. There's a lot to unpack, obviously, with them. But yeah, I, I definitely I like the vampire analogy. Um, even structurally, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it. Um, I was gonna bring up Clive Barker. I like mm. this movie to me. It felt like a. I said it was a huge step up narratively, and I said that because it felt like it was many things while also being this very simple thing. Like very yeah. simply. 
a man goes on vacation, meets a strange woman, and is brought into her evil friend group, and his morals are compromised by it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like the, there's the vampire analogy of, like, they're feeding off of this country, and then they're just reincarnating and doing it again and again. And there's also this entire thing of doubles that we haven't even mentioned yet, you know, which yeah. is like being constantly faced with with the fact that you can be perfectly recreated. Like it, it kind of reduces the meaning of yourself to nothing and you have to create your own meaning, you know? Right. Um, and I agree with what you said about Skarsgård being a blank slate. It um it is interesting to me. He's also the most blatant Brandon Cronenberg self insert we've ever gotten, you know, like they, they hinted him being like this product of nepotism and he deals with that whole side of it. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously this anger there at being dismissed as a creator in his own right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot, like you said, there's so many different angles you could go down to explore it. But uh, Mia goth is like just the best part of the movie by far, which is pretty incredible Mm -hmm. given how much I enjoyed all of it. Yes, that's absolutely absolutely true. Um she she kind of embodies a lot of she kind of it's hard it's hard to explain her performance because it feels so primal and she, like the way she reacts to just everything in this movie is so of the moment and like she's so captivating on screen. So she's always an actress that's hard to describe because she's just such a reactive and also just in this movie specifically felt almost like animalistic at points. Like there's that whole sequence where she's on like the hood of the car. Um, and she's like, she's eating fried chicken and she's pointing a gun at Skarsgård. And she, she feels like she could be wearing like a witch hat and like her skin is completely like green. Like she, she blends the line of like this cartoonish villain, but also like this kind of this surrogate for Skarsgård to sort of explore this world. And, and obviously, sexually they they kind of connect it on certain ways so so yeah no she's um she's an incredible force and has such a atmospheric presence as an actress like a lot of i feel like i don't know about you but a lot of the dread and the intrigue of this movie came from her character um yeah she's great absolutely um it is kind of remarkable like you said how how much she drives the narrative um and i thought it was really cool how her performance changes as you see more and more of it which is pretty like obvious but but each scene you know is informed by the next scene and you kind of have to think Mm -hmm. back it's like it's like everything that can be interpreted as like like seductive early on is like very Mm -hmm. sinister when you when you view it in reverse and yeah it's just very um yeah, it really just it just feels like the most central piece of the film. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, we talked about it's it's trying to do so many different things as a movie and she's really succeeding at all of them at the same time. Yeah. Cuz she's she's obviously what lures him in and she's the seductive part of it, but she's also embodies the the bleakness of of their activities, you know. So she kind of has to play the emotional core of the entire movie within her performance, which is just so impeccable, but also Skarsgård I thought was really great because so, kind of similar to the Northman, obviously he's not as menacing or as brooding as that character, but you kind of sort of feel like he's so good at 
someone who just descends into a very psychological like rabbit hole of madness you know what i mean and kind of yeah kind kind of playing off the absurdity of different tonalities within these movies and um and he is he just has such an kind of like he's kind of like a modern day like well not modern day but like a similar vibe to what i get with like robert pattinson or daniel kaluuya where they just have such a they're like classically handsome and very they pop really well on screen but they also have just this weird really bizarre energy as actors and they they feel like someone that you would never actually run into in 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 your real life if that makes sense um and yeah, Skarsgård yeah. Skarsgård is just perfect for for this tonality and also just the the character itself. So yeah, he's great. Yeah, he really he really is perfect in this role. Um, it's interesting you brought up the Northman because I was thinking about that, that with Mia Goth and um and X and I'm blanking on the other movie's name, oh. but Pearl, yeah, X and Pearl. But it's interesting these two actors doing this movie that you know, calls for very similar things from them with recent projects, but like the way that they're doing those things is very different and like very nuanced in this in a really mm-hmm. fun way. Like, like I agree about Skarsgård. He's so animalistic and he also though has this piece of it in this where it's like, you know, he's very um, shaped by the environment around him. And I think yes. that's a tough thing to perform. Like, it is you know he's so he's so self-assured in his like persona at the start of this movie but every action he takes is influenced by what someone else is encouraging him to do Mm. in a way that uh you know you brought up the self-insert thing and i think that like we, we can we can view ourselves in that role and i think it does add a perspective to it where it's like well, yeah, a lot of things kind of just happen to you if you don't like stand up and say, no, I'm not doing that, you know? Yeah, there's a, there's like a big, a big portion of the, I feel like the terror within his character is his inability to refuse a lot of the activities that go on within this film. Um, And that's kind of similar to Possessor, where it feels like Chris Abbott's character is kind of thrusted into this kind of nightmarish, um tale that kind of, it feels like in his movies feel like inescapable doom all driving towards like a central point that he has to sort of illustrate about our world um and yeah he always finds the right performers to kind of like even Caleb Landry Jones I, I'm not sure if you've seen antiviral um but there's also there's always something so primal about how people react in his films that I, I always find really interesting even similar to his father's work because we talked about like Vigo and Crimes of the Future and obviously Goldblum and the Fly and James Woods in Videodrome um, they're so good at picking out actors that not only understand the tonality of his movies but can kind of be surrogates for just much larger questions that the movies are are asking so that's an Infinity Pool certainly felt the same way yeah, absolutely. And um it's I don't know, I just keep thinking about the the comparison to his dad and how you can see that in you know, for me it's not a one to one. Like I, I, I hadn't even considered what you're saying about like they do treat their male leads very similarly and they have very similar ideas about 
you know, how someone would respond to the types of things they go through in their movies and that kind of thing. Um, But you just see this level of, of like being two steps ahead from Brandon because of his dad. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. he's not like the thing about the, the cycle of the movie seeming repetitive it's not interesting to Brandon, like to just see like, okay, like these people Mm. can, can come back to life. So let's see them like dying in a bunch of crazy ways or like, let's see them murdering each other. Like he's, that's not what he's going for. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and I don't know. I'm sorry. I just keep coming back to the, the revelation of what the movie is. Cause I don't know about you, but I didn't know what this movie was going into it. Like the, the, me neither. And it's so expansive when it gets to that piece of it, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's a, um, I don't know. There's something about it that just, it calls for an actor like Skarsgård, like comparing it to the Northman, uh, the Northman. um, It's an adventure. It is an adventure in a different way. And I think that that, that's a key part of it is like you need someone who can, who can fit all of those things into their performance. Yeah. Sorry. That was, that was very rambling, but no, 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 no. That's, it's exactly what I was going to say too. Cause it feels like almost like a cerebral adventure because it's like, it's a tale of morality, but also um, kind of him reckoning, like we were saying, but Brandon kind of reckoning with his own self image and how people perceive him. But, and then there's this kind of Alex kind of embodies this, kind of hack writer who's um taken a lot of time off his projects and it kind of it definitely wasn't um a contrivance or an issue for me but it's it's another case of writer's block where he's uninspired by the world around him and it takes a very drastic and kind of mind-bending situation to it to inject more you know creative inspiration back into him um, and I think that's that's definitely, of course, Brandon Cronenberg probably felt during like the pandemic or something um, where he wasn't getting those creative juices that he normally was and kind of thinking maybe, hey, this was maybe this was all from my father's experiences as a director. Maybe it all stemmed from there and I have no creative outlook on the world and stuff. So I found it very honest in that sense that he was exploring stuff like that. And and yeah, um, yeah, really, yeah, absolutely. really interesting stuff. Yeah, it's great. And it's just, um, I don't know, we haven't talked too much about like the visuals in specific. Oh, yeah, definitely but, we should. And it, it really just, um, I don't know, like it was funny. We were talking about like, like they almost used this, this ability to create surrogates to pay for their crimes as like a drug. And I didn't even think to mention like the the psychedelic that they take, like whatever yeah, the that thing they put, thing, in, yeah. yeah, that they put in the bowl and and inhale that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's very like what what did you think of the visual style? Because I found it very on note with like it's both exotic and foreign in kind of an oppressive way yeah but it also fit the mold of like exactly what you would expect like a white american to expect when they went to another country to vacation (laughs) you're talking about the ayahuasca experiences that uh particularly like this with all the neon and sort of distorted imagery or just yeah 
kind of in general, but right. specifically there because I think sorry, you you go first. Yeah, no, that's totally that's totally how I felt too. It's kind of like that overwhelming like sensory experience of just pure pleasure and um especially within those orgy sequences but then there's obviously that juxtaposition with like a lot of horrific in the same visual style a lot of horrific kind of almost like demon-like imagery interspersed in those sequences so it creates like a very dual sensory experience for us of just um i mean for me it was all kind of just off-putting obviously but there's like that element of sexuality with between him and Mia Goth that's very precedent and kind of like one of the main intrigues that I feel like he has within this world um is that just primal pleasure that he gets from that but also um yeah it felt like kind of like similar to like a Gaspar Noe approach where it's just all about the audiovisual experience like cinema at its purest form um and we got glimpses of that in like Possessor uh um definitely throughout that film as well um but this i feel like he not only had the intent to use it but also like he really very much experimented with different lenses and film stocks and stuff that it, it was very very visceral and i can see why they give that word in at the beginning um for people that have epilepsy yeah that's it's definitely necessary um mm-hmm. no i very much agree the 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 amount of different things he tries in this is pretty astonishing. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just wanted to touch on like with the visuals, there's this entire sort of sequence where the whole thing is like, he's, he's seeing what he's seeing, but at the same time, he's kind of seeing that everyone's face is like warped and demented in the style of these masks that are, are oh, traditionally yes. worn in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they later wear these masks. And, you know, it is um, interesting in that it's very dreamlike in the way it brings in things from the real world and then presents them to you in a way that's that's not that's not quite accurate. And I don't know, I feel like I'm not fully hitting the nerve on like the the symbolic ties between between um you know the visuals and the storyline sure but yeah i don't know it's just incredible yeah it's tough to fully because i feel like it's like when i said pure cinema it was kind of like you have to sort of experience it in the confines of of watching the movie to fully express what it means and feels to you because i feel like it's ambiguous in a lot of ways um, but also interesting to note that I feel like that visual style was also incorporated to when Alex Skarsgård was first duplicated in the Infinity Pool. So I feel like they're also that that ayahuasca-esque trip also relates to how probably cathartic it felt to have a duplicate version of you created to avoid death. You know, that, quarter, that sort of visceral um, feeling of that they got when they watched themselves their other self die um which i'm sure he was going for in certain respects but also also visually i love the in the first act there's a lot of really wide shots of the landscapes like the mountains and also the beach um and he kind of uses that uh bird's eye view of of the resort and all this stuff that looks really really good um and also like camera tilts it's really interesting stuff to and like even in the first act before shit really happens like there's a very off put in 
uh, visual and editorial kind of sense that this movie has. So, so yeah, like the whole movie I thought was technically really interesting. Yeah, I very much agree. And yeah, there's definitely, um, definitely a direct tie between, between the similarities and the visuals. I, um, I don't know. It's one of those movies that it's like, maybe I need to see it again, but also maybe mm. it just doesn't need to be over-examined too much, you know? Cause right. I really do think ultimately he's going for a sensory experience. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's, that, that's why I was trying not to delve too much into like specifics of the theme and, and character, you know, like how they operate within the story is different than I think, than how I perceived, uh, uh, a lot of the outcomes, especially like the final act of this movie. So it's hard to project like a, a lot of analysis on these Cronenberg. It was kind of the same for Crimes of the Future, I feel like. Um, so, well, and so yeah. with Crimes of the Future, sorry, this is the last thing I say, I'll say. So um, with Crimes of the Future, I didn't feel like I really had like a central thematic tie to that movie like i felt like it was wrestling with a lot of things and it didn't you know really solve itself in my brain and for some reason a lot of infinity pool really resonated with me because like i think i can sum it up in like a sentence in the sense that oh great well and that sounds ridiculous obviously but (laughs) like i think to me ultimately what it's about is it's about how in order to create a sense of identity, you need to accept and love the parts of yourself that are negative. But in the process of accepting those things, you can fall too deep into that cycle and just get caught up in hedonism. And so in Mm -hmm. order to move past that, you have to confront yourself in that place, accept it, and then kill that part of you and move on from it. Yeah. And I think I think what the end of that movie is, is Alexander Skarsgård, he's stuck. He's like in purgatory. He can't accept and move on from this version of himself that's an animal that's literally like a dog. But yeah. he also isn't ready to give in to that. He's not ready to just become like the beast. And so we get that fight sequence and we get him murdering himself. And I think that's why he ends up back at the resort at the end. You know, I think that's him yeah. saying... I'm not ready to move past this stage of my life, but I'm not ready to fall into this stage of my life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, to me, that was just really poignant. And for how confusing and like esoteric and kind of vague it is, I just wanted to state that part of it because Mm -hmm. that part of it was very clear to me, like as I was watching it. Yeah, no, that's a great reading on, on the entire experience because I felt the same way. And you kind of articulated it a lot better than I did after the movie, because I did. I had a feeling that there's actually a very there was a like a parable ex- aspect of this movie that was very connected to the human experience that I couldn't quite put into words. But, yeah, you definitely you definitely hit the nail on the head there, I thought. And and yeah, the ending's very melancholic in a, in a lot of ways is kind of him just kind of reveling in in his limbo that he did because he doesn't quite know know where to go um after that um like is he gonna write a book about his experience or is he gonna revel (laughs) in in all of the bad shit that he did um i also want to be a terrible author i'm sure it's yeah he's horrendous (laughs) because 
<laughs> he <laughs> he has no like discernible personality until he goes down this rabbit hole in the film. So um, he's just like a monster. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, absolutely. I kind of want to end on a weird. Well, actually, two things. Um, yeah. With this, um, I don't know if it's weird to bring up, but um, one of the most striking images in the whole film uh, is Mia Goth kind of breastfeeding Alexander Skarsgård in one of the final frames that they share together. Um, I think there's a very direct um, uh, correlation you can make with that with, you know, a maternal sort of mother figure um, that she had on him in the context of the world. Um, That's how I read it. Um, But also the kind of like a power dynamic thing, obviously, like, how did you how did you interpret that moment? Because obviously it's like it's absurd visual uh, kind of horrific imagery that had a lot of people in my theater sort of cackling, but also like it fits the tone of the movie so well. Like, what did you think of it? Well, so this is definitely one of those movies where like I was just laughing and Emily was just horrified next to me. Because, like, <laughs> if you're a fan of any kind of, I mean, obviously people, you know, listening to this podcast and watching a Brandon Cronenberg movie love body horror. And yes, to me, um, yeah, it is absolutely one of the best images in the movie. But I agree with what you said. Like, it's this very Oedipal relationship where it's mm-hmm. like she's looking to consume someone and he's looking to be consumed, you know? Yes. And yeah, it like has horrifying results, obviously, <laughs> but um, yeah, that is a great image. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of stuff in this movie. Yeah. There's a lot of sequences and also, yeah. Like just images like that, that will stick around in my brain for a long time. Um, And the last thing I wanted to ask you and I'll give my, my, take is what's your ranking of Brandon's movies so far so I haven't seen antiviral but it's definitely infinity pool and then possessor like I just feel like it's a very linear progression for him interesting yeah as in infinity pool is my favorite right right I yeah I, I tend to agree but also I feel like I need to revisit possessor because so my ranking would probably be Possessor, Infinity Pool, Tie, and then um, what do you call it? Antiviral last? Because Antiviral is really strong and and quite unique, compared even compared to these movies. Um, you could tell he's definitely pulling from his father's influence in a lot of ways. To, and I feel like Possessor was where he really branched out and became more of a distinct voice himself. Um, but I could also see like re-watching Infinity Pool more because like we had said, it's a more kind of sophisticated and well thought out narrative than Possessor, in my opinion, where Possessor Possessor might be all like audio visual, like a sort of sensory experience more so. Um, But I tend to agree with that. I think I think Infinity Pool might be his best achievement so far uh, of all of his movies. Um, And I hope you watch Antiviral because I feel like you'd be into it. Yeah, I really need to check it out. Um, we definitely, you know, it's like us is my favorite Jordan Peele. Well, actually, nope might be, but um, mm. I don't know. We definitely fall more into the ambitious and kind of messy category more than like the tight and Absolutely. perfect category. Like, like I prefer watching the lighthouse to the witch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good comparison. But the um, witch is better. Like, obviously it's better. It's <laughs> yeah. In some <sighs> 
Eggers is so tough to discern though, because like those all three are so just dramatically different. So yeah, um, but I think going back to M Night though, because I I was saying uh, Village and Unbreakable, and you were saying Signs, it's kind of the same correlation. I feel like where it's like, oh, it's the ambitious, emotional one that has a lot of bloats and a lot of you know story problems, but we enjoy them more than maybe the most perfectly put together one. And that's always how I, I've been with, with most directors that I love. So I definitely agree. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Well, we just agreed with each other agreeing, <laughs> I, I guess, but the you same know, thing twice. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I just, I just like to, I don't know. I just, I, I kept thinking of other directors. I wanted to break up anyway. Um, Jordan Peele and Nope is my favorite though, too. So such a good movie. That, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk about the best vacation thrillers? Slash yeah, absolutely. Um, you go first, though. Sure. Uh, well, I'm already cheating because this is not a movie, but I just want to just mention The White Lotus because it's so culturally important right now. Um, are you up to speed with that show? Have you been watching? Or did you watch season one and two? Yeah, Um. I didn't. I guess I didn't get season one or like, I just didn't love it. Like I enjoyed mm. it mildly, but it wasn't like overly impressive to me. And then I was blown away by season two. Like I just, wow. it's so yeah. How about you? I love both equally, but I think part of the reason why I love season, cause like Mike white who created that show, I've been a long time fan of his writing. And I feel like it's a very, you know, like aside from school of rock and more of his mainstream scripts, I feel like, He's a very distinct and like kind of uh, subversive style of writing that might that might be a little tongue too tongue in cheek and winky to a lot of people um, and upsetting, like socially upsetting situations. But I'm a longtime fan, though. So like seeing him do the White Lotus season one was actually like I thought it was incredible, um, mainly because I was accustomed, though, to his sense of writing and also like how he explores different, you know, social customs and stuff like that. Um, so I love season one, but I, I think season two might have one upped it in certain respects. Like it's definitely, I think, I think it explores more different, um, and more exciting aspects of like, you know, we were saying with infinity pool is kind of like wealth culture and also, um, cultural differences between countries and the U S that's more satirical. I feel like in season two, um, and yeah, and I feel like we were talking off mic though, like Triangle of Sadness is a big deal right now. And I feel like people are really in on these like bourgeois explorations and satirical um, approaches to these like vacation thrillers um, where we see rich people just go through hell and back. Um, and in the end, they sort of come away with a lesson um, of morality um, that's that's sort of exposed within their wealth or they're just like brutally punished and like killed. Um, and that's sort of what the White Lotus is, but also Triangle of Sadness, which I was more so mixed on as, as an overall movie. But but yeah, I just had to as a huge Mike White fan. And I thought season two and season one are like some of the best things that we have on television these days. So that was I definitely had to talk about that. Um, nice. Yeah, I can't, season I, um... three is going to be great. <laughs> I need to revisit season one because to me, it felt like he was more so just basking in like the visuals and the ambiance and kind of this awkward push and pull between the, the residents. Mm. And I it's enjoyable, but I just felt that like 
it wasn't as original as I thought it felt like it was. Sure. Like it, it felt very content to bask in what it was. And I just felt like what it was was very surface level. But again, I kind of feel like I just missed the boat mm. um, because I love, I love the second season. I, you know, I feel like that's more on me than it is on the show. That could be it. Um, but the, yeah, I can't wait for season three. The, the, everything about it is just so enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And kind of like, kind of similar to what we were saying about knives out, but like, it's the perfect framework and structure to just keep pumping out different like scenarios and obviously different locations for the white Lotus. Um, like I believe season three might be in Japan or somewhere, somewhere in the Asian continent somewhere I know is what they're going to do. So that's going to be, that's going to be super fun. Um, and, and yeah, like, like I said, I, I just love Mike white and all what he's doing with those shows. So um, and that's like the obvious vacation answer to bring up. So I might've stolen a lot of the, a lot of the answers that we have, but like, what do you, what did you want to bring up first? Um, okay. This might be cheating. Tell me if this is cheating, but I was going to go with old. That was on my list. That That's <laughs> definitely a vacation movie. Yeah. But is it a thriller? I guess it's a thriller. I, I certainly don't know what else you would classify it as. Um, have I already talked about old on this podcast? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Um, I don't think so, but nonetheless, just go ahead. Okay, so um, is it is it Gael Garcia Bern Bernal Bernal? Is that how you say the lead? Yeah, yeah, the name? lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Vicky Creeps. They play a married couple with their their two kids. Is two kids? Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. The son and the daughter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they go on a tropical holiday, um, but they discover that the secluded beach they're staying on causes them to age extremely rapidly, meaning that their entire lives will only last a single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't get any further into the plot, but um, you know, we talked about M. Night a lot already, uh, and you brought up this movie as one that we both love. Um, yes, this is just one of the frankly messiest, most overwrought, but emotionally resonating movies I can remember seeing in the theater. Like, it's just so yeah. everything. It's it's similar to another movie that will get brought up later in this podcast. Like, I stole one of yours. You could steal one of mine. Um, it. It's just exactly what you want in a getaway thriller. Like it's it's exciting and there's there's like a criminal element to it, but it's also beautiful to look at. And you have like mm-hmm. families playing on the beach and I don't know, just everything about it is is pretty pitch perfect to me. If you're in the M. Night mood, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it's such an exciting and visceral theater experience, I remember, because I think we saw that in the same group when we saw that for the first time um certainly a very uh uh mixed reactions among the group but that's kind of that's kind of why it's great though because it pushes every envelope within the plot that he sets out that he could possibly push um and there's all, all obviously the mystery aspects really intriguing and to, for my money the birth scene on the beach is one of the like most white knuckling sequences that m knight's ever directed like anything above the village and even the sixth sense where it's just like, holy shit, this is like, 
this is something that we haven't seen on screen probably ever. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge, it's, I'm a huge proponent of old. Also, um, it's also dealing with a set of themes that pretty much nothing else we're going to talk about is dealing with. You know, yes, like it. It's this movie about a family on a beach getaway. So of course, you know, it, it is M Night's reflection on aging and death and the loss of your loved ones and. <laughs> The cosmic eternity. It's it's yeah, yeah it's phenomenal movie things, you know. <laughs> um yeah, um, I feel like this podcast has become even more about M Night than it has Brandon Cronenberg, but hey. That's that's yeah. why I had to giggle bringing it up. I apologize. <laughs> it was on my list. If you hadn't brought it up, I would have brought it up too. Um <laughs> but yeah, I, I I I'm a huge fan of old as well. But uh I won't bring up the one that because I'll let you talk about it because I feel like you're much more of I love I really like the the mystery movie as much as you do but I'll let you talk about it because I I want to talk about the descent um because not oh, not def- I have not seen this this is definitely not a classical vacation movie it's about so essentially it's about a group of women um who one of them had had recently been involved with a car crash and lost her family so it's basically about a group of friends all female taking their friend on a vacation to get over the death of her family um and they're staying in this cabin and their plan is to go spelunking which is cave diving um um that's kind of like the main reason they're out there so essentially the first half of this movie plays out as like a situational thriller where they're in this cave and they get lost and you're kind of seeing them go through these very tight quarters um, and very claustrophobic sequences going through these very tight, you know, like well, that's one of the, one of the main reasons I really respond to this movie is because I have just very dreadful fears of like getting stuck in like a really tight space. Um but the when the movie like really takes off is when they get like very deep in the cave and they're trying to find a way out um and they discover some dead bodies and like blood stained you know stones and like water in the cave um and they realize that there's creatures down in the cave that are attacking spelunkers so it essentially becomes a creature feature and the movie is so so it's directed by Neil Marshall who did um that Hellboy movie that really sucked with uh, David Harbour. <laughs> um, and he, he actually directed like some of the best Game of Thrones episodes. I don't know if that means anything to you at all, but he's a, he's a very interesting director, but this is like the best thing he's ever done in my opinion, because like, obviously the, what I was saying about the the tight quarters and like getting lost, like that's all very well, well done, but then it becomes a very just like over the top sort of survival thriller where they're fighting off these like bat-like creatures. And I'm sorry if this spoils part of the movie for you, um, but they're, they're kind of just fighting off a lot of creatures um, in this cave. And it's kind of like a sort of becomes like a tight quarters uh, creature feature. Um, and it rules. It's just so well done. So well executed. Um, very bloody, very tense. Um, and yeah. And like an all female, female cast um, for this type of movie is really interesting. And I really that aspect's really interesting because they kind of react differently um, to how I feel like a group of men would react to like a bunch of fucking like deformed bats attacking you um, in a cave. And it's a really great story about trauma and really uplifting story about kind of like coming out of that, that depressive uh, part of loss. So, 
so yeah and like part most of what i said has nothing to do with vacations at all though so um but they technically are on a vacation spelunking so it counts i guess yeah no it definitely counts you know it's not a spoiler i do know the premise Um, yeah 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 it's uh one that's been on my list for a long time. It sounds incredible. I just can't get over like the underwater sequences. Like I just can't see them being enjoyable. I just don't see it. Like I uh, don't know how they are. Not in the traditional sense of in- well, they're in a cave. They're not technically underwater. Um, okay. I don't. From what I no, recall, I, I don't think there's a lot of water. It, it's definitely not enjoyable in the traditional sense, but it's very white knuckling and really enjoyable. Um, like and just, you can tell what's going on. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like the geography of everything is more or less. Of course, there's sequences that might be a little confusing, but it's so well done. Like, like the blocking and mapping of the entire movie. So, because if it was like okay. shake, if it was very like you couldn't discern what was happening, the movie would not work. But I think it's fantastic. So. I got you. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out soon. It's it's been on the list. Oh, that nice. Yeah, you'll like it. And the reason I said spoiler is because like it's like a ma- it, it's like, a twist, right? In two thousand five, if you were to see this movie, like you don't really know what you know. Something I feel like is is deep within the confines of the cave that's gonna like attack them or like something's gonna happen that's bad. Um, but it's sort of like um, I. I kind of like kill list or an audition where it's just like a very unexpected and like inexplainable like horror that comes in like the third act of the movie where you're just like oh, okay this is happening gotcha um, which i love movies like that so yeah I, i'm sure you'll you'll enjoy that so yeah i'll yeah, have the- to check it out have you ever seen dog soldiers no but that's another neil marshall movie i think that's like a survival like uh werewolf movie right yeah I've never seen it, but it's just funny that he made Dog Soldiers and The Descent. Yeah, he's a cool director. Um, I would. That's why I was kind of hoping Hellboy would have been at least interesting. I guess it was interesting. In a bad way, yeah. Yeah, in a really bad way. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, what's next in yours? I, I feel like we could each do one more if you... Or yeah, definitely. One or so two more. I will... You're on your second. Oh, okay. I will go with um, A Perfect Getaway, since that's the movie we were talking about that I said yeah, you might yeah. steal. Um, this is a Dave, – it's David Tui, right? It's a David Tui movie. Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> I actually don't know by heart. I'm going with it. Anyways, uh, it stars Steve Zahn, Mila Jovovich, Timothy Oliphant, and mm-hmm. Keely Sanchez. Did I get that one right? <laughs> I don't <laughs> <laughs> anyways I'll be pulling up chris hemsworth correct. uh has a small role in it right anyways right, yeah um it's about these two newlyweds cliff and sydney who go for like a romantic hiking vacation in the cliffs of hawaii in the in the yeah. mountains of hawaii and while they're hiking they run into um these charming hikers who basically want to want to hang out with them and show them around because they come there all the time, whatever. And the two couples really hit it off. But right as they're leaving for this long weekend hike where they're not going to have any cell service or radio coverage, 
they hear a broadcast that another uh, two newlyweds have been murdered on a different island right next to where they are. Mm-hmm. And then they go on the trip and they're completely cut off from communication and they're just alone with this newlywed couple who or this newlywed couple is just alone with these two people who they don't know and who gradually start acting more and more suspicious. And mm-hmm. it sounds like a boring, trite, like very obvious, um, you know, just sort of mundane thriller, but it is so silly and the the, uh, the charisma of of the four leads and just the character dynamics going on are all so wonderful and it's set in hawaii so it's just luxurious to look at it's it's i don't know everything about it shouldn't work and should be generic and stupid but i'm pretty sure they shot it on location if not Hmm. hawaii it's shot somewhere beautiful and everything about it is just like I don't I don't know everything about it is just very light but in the way where you're not you're not left feeling that the stakes don't matter. Absolutely. And I promise that no matter what twist you're guessing you do not know what is going to happen in this movie. <laughs> no way. It's, that that also adds the twist which obviously we won't say is it just like perfectly matches the goofiness of the tone like you were saying and like how ridiculous how many leaps you have to take to fully kind of like resonate with that with the third act of this movie it's so crazy yeah um, it um what's the Anne Hathaway movie uh, that's the worst way to what Anne do you know Hathaway? what I'm talking about that's similar in what way to this movie it's got a crazy twist oh uh shit I cannot remember the name. And Hathaway. I think she's in it. Um Serenity. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. If you said McConaughey, I would have I would have known that what you're talking about. I forgot she was so in like, that. Yeah. Serenity. See, the rules. best way to describe this, this is like the British Serenity. Like they know it's ridiculous and they know they're making a stupid, like twisty thriller movie. But it has mm. just enough like class and just enough talent that it's closer to like before the devil knows you're dead than it is like something silly. Sure. Well, why? In a, in a, why British thriller? Isn't David Toohey British? Do I have this wrong? Do, I, well, do we Stephen, need to delete the whole pod? <laughs> Stephen Knight, who did Serenity, I believe, is British. So that's what I thought you meant, but. Um, oh no, I thought David Toohey was I don't Oh know my who... god, this is the Chronicles of Riddick guy <laughs> So he's a guaranteed A tourist, probably Ignore yeah. everything I'm saying The point is just that this is um. <laughs> I didn't mean to call you out, I was just, I was just curious No, what no, you thank you British I gone... Well, what I meant more so was just that like, There's a level of class And maybe I shouldn't use British at all But there's a level of class <laughs> to to the proceedings that oh, makes okay. the trashiness even more fun. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. Like they respect you as a viewer. This isn't like a stupid movie. It's not stupid people making it. It's just trying no, to no. be silly. Oh, it's very silly. Like the, 
sort of the chase sequences in the final act are so hyper edited and just stylized that oh they're so incredible they're so well done uh, but they're also just so like a lot of people i feel like that are fans of very cut and dry thrillers would view this as campy and silly um but like truthfully it's just so well executed and like the acting is like way better than it should be um, like Steve Zahn is like crazy in this movie. Like he plays so exactly. many different, so many different tonalities in the movie. God, they're so uh, they're all so good. It's just yeah, it's a gem. It is. And isn't Chris Hemsworth like he's kind of perceived as the initial like bad guy? Yeah, like, they. He's like a violent boyfriend who you definitely think did yeah. it. Who might have done it? Yeah, yeah. We don't want to say who did it. Um, but yeah, you don't know. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that movie too. It's such a perfect like time capsule of 2009 too. Um, there were these really just goofy genre movies like Orphan came out too during that time. Um, I love that. I love those types of movies. So, yeah, the second um, Orphan's phenomenal. The second one? I haven't seen the first one. I've only seen first. You watched Kill. the second one, and you didn't see the that, how that must have been so confusing. Well, uh, I was like nine when the second one came out. Oh, that's true, but. I mean, you had another like fourteen years, years to see it. <laughs> the yeah, first 14, orphan, yeah. That's why I make Colette Sarah it comes full circle. Uh, oh, the second man. one was uh, the second one was okay. Um, I'm being fully exposed as a fraud on this podcast. <laughs> oh man, uh, no, it's, it's, it's I think it's kind of like funny that you would watch that even without seeing the first movie. Um, yeah, it was a it was a rainy day, you know. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, okay, I'll bring up one more, and then you could bring up one yeah. more if you'd like. Um, uh, I have, I have the option of a few here. Um, I will talk about. Uh, sorry, I'm just thinking of what. What do I have the most to say about each of these movies? Um, I'll talk about the one I love. Um, which is a movie that stars Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. Um, have you seen this movie? It's sort of like uh, independent, uh, sort of in the vein of Mumblecore, kind of like a very low-key vacation movie, kind of like the Airbnb uh, category that we were talking about. Um, but uh, it start obviously Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. They're like a, they're kind of a married couple, and they're experiencing marital issues so they go to this quote-unquote um healing center um which is an airbnb that's kind of isolated from the rest of the world um and yeah there's a side they go there and a lot of bizarre habits to i don't want to spoil the twist of this movie because it's a really cool psychological sort of sci-fi twist um that's really innovative for the budget of this movie um but things sort of happen that test their relationship and their sort of commitment to each other and ultimately ends up you know really impacting their relationship so it's more of a relationship thriller sci-fi um vacation movie um kind of similar to something mike white would do where it's very much about human interaction more than like the situation that they're put in which i always appreciate um and obviously duplass and elizabeth moss are just phenomenal actors so um yeah, this was in a wave of movies that I really, really loved um, that the Duplass brothers produced. And this was one of their more innovative movies. Um, it's hard to talk about because I, I really don't want to spoil the, the narrative twist of this movie. Um, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But 
it's just such a really tense, funny, atmospheric little movie that I really like. Um, with the, like, it, I think that the Airbnb is somewhere like in Santa Barbara, California, so it's like a very luscious landscape that's behind them. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's I I kind of like movies about uh couples coming to terms with their with their uh with their sort of differences as human beings um to put it simply so yeah it's called the one i love and definitely not as goofy as the perfect getaway more of a serious uh vacation movie but have you seen that movie yeah i forgot about that movie it's really good um it is yeah yeah, I really like it, and I won't really say much because, again, you can't really talk about it without spoiling it, and I don't want to. It's tough, yeah. Um, All I'll say is that I've been very disappointed in Charlie McDowell since that movie. Mm, the windfall. Well, yeah, so he's doing this, like, Jason Segel thing, and <laughs> I really like Jason Segel, <laughs> but, yeah. like, you know, he did a movie where Jason Segel discovers the afterlife, right? Yeah, the one called like the Discovery. I didn't watch. Yeah, that. was that good? It's um, it's okay. It's not <laughs> like I would say that like if the one I love has like the Duplass charm to it, mm. and you know Elizabeth Moss is great in it, and like Ted Danson is like the guy who like walks them through it and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's right. All that stuff it really synthesizes well with what McDowell wants to do. And then with the discovery and windfall, he kind of just gets to do what he wants to do. And it kind of just isn't working for me. (laughs) Yeah. Windfall is bizarre. Um, I I enjoyed aspects of that movie, but it's very just kind of, it's just a very on the nose of what it's exploring. There's not a lot of dimensions to it. I felt like, Um, like it was, it was decently well, well acted and put together, but, it was just kind of like very surface level. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, what I mean? it's very shallow. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's well done, but it's shallow. And the one I love is well done and very like layered and dense yes. and cool and unique. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And like windfall arguably might have better actors. Maybe. I mean, like you have Jesse Plemons, Lily college and Jason Siegel. It's like a pretty, pretty stellar trio. Um, it's just kind of like more of a more of like a dumb guy thriller than the one I love. Um, yeah, like you said, very yep. shallow. Um, yeah, and just unexciting. Like if you're going to make that movie with that level of intellectual nuance, like you have to do like some fun, you know, cat and mouse stuff or like a, like just something. Yeah, yeah. It kind of plays um, off on like the not to talk about this movie much, but like it's kind of like the plays off on the the messiness of how that situation would normally go. Um, but it, it just it just it didn't after a while. It felt like it didn't know what it wanted to be, I guess. Um, yeah, not very a bad much film, but yeah. Yeah. Sorry, but anyways, um, no, the one I love is great. Uh, it is. is it? Should I do mine now? Yeah, you can, you can end with one more. Um. OK, I'll do the vanishing. Oh wow, I just watched that for the first time. What'd you think? Um I thought it was good. Um kind of similar actually what it felt very uh I don't I I'll let you talk about it cuz I don't want to like dampen what you were saying. It's not my type of uh 
sort of psychological cat and mouse thriller. Um, but for for the time and it's very well constructed, I think it's it's definitely a respectable respectable respectable, sorry, movie. Um I just did connect to it personally, but obviously I think you you definitely enjoyed it more. So I hear what you're saying though, because it's definitely not like there are movies that are scary to me when I'm like watching them. And then there's movies that are scary when you're thinking about them like a week later. Sure. And the vanishing, what I will say, like your reaction doesn't surprise me because it's not really trying to reel you in at all. Like there's not Mm. that much that's terribly cinematic about it. You know what I mean? Like it reminds me more of like, um, I'm struggling to come up with an example right off the top of my head, but it reminds me more of like a procedural crime thriller where you watch something terrible happen in exacting detail. Yes. And this just keeps going, you know, like you don't follow the detective who's searching for the killer. Like you just have to live with the aftermath. And there's nothing even particularly riveting to me about like, the path that the main character goes down in it. But what really works for me and what I really drew a lot from infinity pool too, is that it's a movie in which the main character makes his own choices repeatedly and Mm. you don't even see it happening until the end. Yeah. It's like everything he's doing he's the good boyfriend. Like he's driving around, he's looking for, he's asking questions. Like he's not giving up, you know, he's assuming she's alive, all that stuff. And then he gets his answer and his answer is not good enough for him. And he has to go back Mm -hmm. and go back. Mm -hmm. Like he can't let it go. Yeah. And so to me, like what scares me about that movie is that, and what is so effective to me about that movie is that it feels very real. It feels Mm -hmm. very similar to like, how I would react if I went on a biking trip and someone that I love, like if my girlfriend disappeared and I was trying to find her, it's like, where do you start? Mm. Like, how do you go about the emotional process of that? And then also think about like, Oh, what if someone's out to get you as well? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I totally, yeah, I agree. Cause it's, there's a lot of subversions in that movie. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of routes it takes that were deeply unexpected for some for a movie that, um, like you said, like a procedural sort of crime movie that take that veers off in many different weird directions. Um, it's not necessarily I, I have no like discernible issues with how the movie played out. I just I've se- I feel like I've just seen a lot of movies and that movie was came out like I think early 90s, 80s. So it's a very foundational like blueprint for a lot of um mystery sort of crime movies like i i felt like it was a precursor to like all these korean horror movies coming out and like maybe even like a david fincher movie like zodiac um sort of that like obsess obsessiveness with a particular moment or crime in someone's life um um maybe i need to give it another chance um because i i certainly was expecting a different movie i think it might have been my expectation that tarnished the experience overall so i don't know but I do think just in terms of like the technical aspects too, like watching it again for an, with an eye for how they're structuring the plot is very worthwhile. Yes. Like, oh, totally. It is. Um, It is very well crafted, but I agree with everything you're saying. Like, I don't think that 
Yeah, I could see why it wouldn't like immediately capture you in that way. Like I could mm. see, I could definitely see how this happens to me all the time. Like I'm very late on something and then all the stuff that it was, that it influenced has ruined it for me where I'm right. like, well, this stuff yeah. better. That's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it was um, definitely, it's bone. It's a very bone chilling movie though. Like there's the, their dynamic, especially in the, the final act when they're driving, I guess we're spoiling the movie, but yeah, a little bit. Know. It's an old. We haven't said any names, though. Yeah, we we didn't even lay out the plot or anything, but um, which is fine. Um, but yeah, their dynamic think, towards the third act is really fascinating. Since we since we spoiled, I think the thing that sticks with me the most about that movie is when he's scoping out the gas station, and he basically runs into a local man who is regularly doing the same thing with young girls and people kind of know about it. And then it's oh, just yeah. never mentioned again. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. There's... Yeah. It's just so sick. Like, mm-hmm. anyways. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good vacation thriller too, though. And it's kind of might be the most like, uh, visceral and like one that makes you not want to ever go on like a road trip or something. Cause it's, it's definitely the most bleak movie I feel like that we've sort of covered on this on this list uh, in certain ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think that I think we covered the basis. I just want to mention I was going to talk about us real quick. Um, yeah, I'm not going to, but because um, we already kind of covered Jordan Peele, um, but that's another great vacation movie. I think um, um, kind of goes more along the lines of even veers off into like Twilight Zone sci fi stuff and. Of course, we've talked about Jordan Peele so much on this podcast, so <laughs> I just feel like I didn't want to bring it up. Um, and another one was a movie called The Beach House. I was that I again I didn't want to talk about it because um, me and Brendan did a a, a a list of most underrated horror movies in October, and I talked about the. Have you heard about The Beach House? It's a it's a yeah. You sh- recommended it to me, and I never got around to seeing it. Yeah, I'm sure I've talked about it for years now. Um, I still highly, highly recommend anyone watch that movie. It's a straight to shutter sci-fi sort of uh, beach thriller, um, lake house thriller, um, and definitely takes routes you would never expect a movie like that to take. Um, and it's, it's very unsettling and very visually rich. So um, definitely check out. Do you have any like honorable mentions that you didn't get to? Um. Yeah, I was going to like squeeze the American in. The American, the George Clooney movie? Yeah, he's not really on vacation, but that is kind <laughs> of a movie where he's an assassin and he goes on the run and then he ends up having a vacation like on accident in this small Italian village. <laughs> um, Interesting. That movie is just, I don't know, I just like that movie. People should watch it. I've heard it's very good. I haven't checked it out yet. That kind of reminds me of that movie Stillwater. With Matt, do you ever see that movie with Matt Damon? No, I didn't. Um, the Tom McCarthy, where his daughter, yeah. go, his daughter is like imprisoned, like wrongfully. Um, I think isn't in... that based on Casey Anthony? Is it? It's based on. No, not case. Is Casey Anthony the one who killed her baby? Uh, I, I don't know. I think you might be mixing up movies. No, 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 no. That that movie is based on the girl who was accused of murdering her roommate while abroad in Europe. Yes. It's based on a true story. Like, it's based on the real girl who did that. Oh, well, I actually didn't know that, but. 
Yeah, it's, it's it was like a whole controversy because I guess they didn't like reach out to her at all. <laughs> they just like made a movie about her dad. Oh my god, <laughs> that's crazy. The movie's great though. <laughs> I gotta I should, watch that one. I shouldn't advocate for it anymore, but it was kind of what no, you were saying. I should, I should check it out though. It's firmly in my alley. Up my alley. It's really good. It's it's like a dad movie in the best sense though, and it's kind of like that accidental vacation where Matt Damon sort of like integrates with a family and just it turns into like a a two year vacation while he tries to. <laughs> and like he, he that sounds in. wonderful. <laughs> It's it's really well done though, yeah, and it's like really like a sweet movie. It's really weird, but I thought it was great. So, yeah, yeah, I'll have to check that out. Water. Um, but yeah, I guess we can wrap up there as we talk about um the controversial Matt Damon thriller. Um, <laughs> um, I had no idea about the controversy there. That's that's wild, and I've been recommending that movie for like the past two years to people. <laughs> um, anyhow, um. Yeah, if you guys let us know what you thought of Infinity Pool, um, I'm sure people have many different interpretations on the movie, but also I feel like there's a visceral reaction. I felt like same with Possessor, where people like actively disliked the movie um, because he's a boundary pushing director, to say the least. And what what would you want Brandon to do next? Like what would be like a dream project for him after post Infinity Pool? I don't know. I feel like I would want him to do something that expands the scope even larger. Yeah. It it just feels like that's where he's going, you know? And so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where he goes in that vein. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to try and guess or or predict what the next one should be about because I think that the unpredictable nature of his stuff is what's interesting, you know? Right. No, that's a good point. Um and Infinity Pool is like the most natural step up i think from possessor because you have a bigger budget you have more famous actors more or less so i feel like if he just takes another leap i guess similar from possessor to infinity pool to the next movie i feel like will be it will be a good step as an artist for him um also i thought you were going to say something like black adam 2 or something <laughs> like just to be just yeah we need to get him some ip <laughs> Could you imagine Brandon Cronenberg? Because like I don't know if you knew, but David Cronenberg was asked to direct uh, Star Wars: Return of the, the Jedi. I think they asked him to do. It was like him, him and David Lynch were both approached to do Star Wars in the in the eighties. Um, so it'd be hilarious to see Brandon approach to do like some giant like Dungeons and Dragons Part Two or the Super Mario franchise. Something I would else. I would love that. Unironically, he would have made a good Gore the God Butcher movie. Mm. If he got if he got the hard R and the budget, just have him crushing a bunch of superhero skulls. It could just be long <laughs> shots of the skulls being crushed. It'd be much more visceral and gory than people probably would be used to. <laughs> or a Nicholas Winding Refn collab. I would like that. Oh dear. <laughs> that might be too many cooks in that uh in that, <laughs> in that long kitchen. shot kitchen and neon light kitchen. Give me a 19 hour Swedish program about <laughs> Brandon Cronenberg's next idea. Maybe do a stage adaptation of something where it's like like a 35 hour 
just watching someone slowly go do you see that trailer for that Willem Dafoe movie where he's like trapped in someone's like penthouse yeah that looks insane yeah I'll watch it (laughs) I'll check it out yeah it looks very uh uh kind of just rough rough and grisly and will but I just like to see Willem just act by himself for like two hours that'll be pretty great I don't know why yeah absolutely (laughs) One man shows are great, movie or shows, play. They're always good. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for coming on, man. I thought I think that was a good discussion about vacations, but also Cronenberg and primarily M Night Shyamalan movies. <laughs> if you were <laughs> yeah, to break thank down, you for that. having me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. Um. And it, honestly, if you want to talk about Knock at the Cabin, you're you're more than welcome to. We could do that. Yeah, I'll text you. I I would definitely. Clearly, we have a lot to say. <laughs> I mean, like if I might go back and see if we covered M Night already too much, um, but I don't, I don't know. I feel like I had more to say because I had to cut myself off, obviously. So well, I could be wrong, but this feels like the third time I've talked about M Night Shyamalan on your podcast. So <laughs> I don't know. If, like... Did you mention that like on theater experiences of 2022? Like, how is that? Possible? I bet I did. I bet I mentioned old. <laughs> So this reminded me of old and summer. Yeah, that could that definitely tracks. My bit could just yeah. be that I come on and compare every movie to old. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I could probably do that with a straight face and not even realize I was doing it. <laughs> just bring up old every week. <laughs> I'll have you on for like uh, Oppenheimer or the Barbie movie, and then you're like, it wasn't as visceral or as imaginative as old as as good as those movies are. You know the nuke scene is going to be comparable to the beach scene in old. You just know it. Which beach scene? The whole movie's on the beach. Well, the first one. The one where they're... When they find out. Oh, right, right. Of course. Um, anyway. I should rewatch old. Yeah, the, the moral of this podcast is that everyone should watch old every... Like, maybe semi-weekly or something like that, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. As much as you need. <laughs> Let me know what you think of Lock at the Cabin tonight. I'm actually really curious. I will. Um, I'll text you. I'm I'm very excited. Absolutely. Um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Lucas, for coming back. Um, this was a fun episode. And um, I actually did an episode with Lucas's girlfriend about production design. Um, but you're actually, we're going to release this. Uh, sorry to Emily, but we're going to release this episode first because it makes more <laughs> sense. Even though I Hell recorded yeah. that with her like days ago. <laughs> but um <laughs> But yeah, man, hope you enjoyed Knock at the Cabin. Um, And everyone, thank you for listening. And bye.